0: So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. Guys, this conversation with Rachel Cruz is so good. If you listen to the conversation that Brendan and I had about money, episode 82, where we started our process of our budget and getting out of debt, I shared a little bit about just some of the emotion behind it and some of the mindsets. And that has been one of the most surprising things I have found along this journey as we've been working our way to get out of debt. And we have an update next week. So next week's episode, Brendan and I will be sharing about our process of actually getting out of debt and some of the things that we have done. We've used our budget tracker and I will link to our free budget tracker in the show notes. You can grab that. People have been using that just to have a simple tool to be able to put their numbers and actually turn and face their numbers to see where they really are. But so much of it as well is mindset and the why and the emotion behind really like how, why are we spending money in the first place? How are we getting ourselves in this place? And so I'm excited to share this conversation with you with Rachel Cruz. Um, She is Dave Ramsey's daughter. And if you don't know Dave Ramsey, you need to look up both of them. Um, They offer such great advice for how to get out of debt and stay out of debt and really begin to change your money mindsets, to begin to build wealth. And Rachel and I talk about all this in the episode. So I I trust it's going to help you move one step closer to thriving. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. I'm excited to be sitting here with the one and only Rachel Cruz, now you may know her as author, speaker, podcast host, money expert, wife and mother to three, Dave Ramsey's daughter, but I am most excited to talk to Rachel about her reels. Now, her reel game is strong. If you are on Instagram, actually, let's just say this, if you're not on Instagram, get on Instagram just to go watch Rachel's reels because, man, (laughs) they have been... Giving me life. Um, I think if all else fails, in whatever else she's pursuing, she's just gonna take up a career in reels. So um, love watching Rachel's reels. That could be a show in itself. Uh, but I want to talk about her her latest book, which is Know Yourself, Know Your Money, Discover Why You Handle Money the Way You Do and What To Do About It. Basically, this is like a personality test for money. So loved learning about Rachel and all that she has to say about money. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you. I love the introduction.
1: Thanks for adding the reels in. You know, it's it's like become my side hobby. I think they're so, I think they're so funny, not mine necessarily, but I just think reels in general are so funny. And I was like, okay, if I'm laughing at this with totally. random people that I don't know, maybe someone will appreciate the love if I do some. So
0: I'm so it. thankful you like them. Yeah. Well, I, I actually remixed one of your reels a while back. You did one on COVID, the CDC. At the time when I had COVID and I was in bed and I was like, this is true. I Like everything they're saying, I cannot get a test. I cannot confirm. And I was in bed and I was like, this is perfect. So I love that. Um, just to give a quick snapshot of um, our money story. And you can hear more. My husband and I share in episode 82. We talked about our beginning our, of our budget and our journey. And so if you want a deep, deeper dive into kind of our own money story, because everybody has their own money story, um, you can head back to episode 82. But just to keep, get Rachel up to speed, 2016, we were sitting in, my husband works for Young Life, um, a Young Life conference. And this guy got up to speak and my husband dragged me along and I was like, I do not Want to learn about money. How boring is that? So it's this guy right here, Rachel's daddy, Ramsey. He gave us the book at this conference and we tucked it away in our shelf for four years. Um, And finally in 2020, dusted it off. My husband started reading it. And as soon as he started reading it, I was like, we're in trouble. Okay. (laughs) And he asked me to read it next. And we talked about this in our... um, episode 82 where we just kind of felt like it was a god nudge where he was saying like you're okay here but you're not thriving. Like this podcast is ready to thrive. What is it going to look like to thrive in your life and in finances? And so fast forward, October 2020 was when we started our budget. Hilarious to me, truly hilarious that I would talk to anybody about money because for the first 14 years of our marriage, I avoided every money conversation like the plague and my husband was like is now a good time. Are you getting your period? Would you like a glass of wine? Like all of the things <laughs> to get me to talk about money. And now I love talking mm-hmm. about it. And we just got to, to start on step three. And so we are oh, so out of excited. Debt. Our debt. We are going to talk about it in next week's podcast episode. And I want to talk about how we paid off. We started off with $78,000 in our line of credit. And we're going to talk about all the little bits and pieces of how we kind of got there, um, got to where we are now. But it's so funny because we are we are sticking to our budget really more than ever because our next goal is to get our three to six month savings plan in place. So life-changing to say the least. Uh, but I want to hear from you and a little bit about this book. And the first thing I want to talk to you about is, um, like I said, everyone has a money story. So can you unpack what you have discovered along the way about kind of the home life and how people have been brought up, kind of the classroom that where they began to learn about money.
1: Yes. Well, number one, congratulations. That's absolutely, absolutely incredible. And yeah, you know, when I was writing this book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money for this one, I was like, you know, we, we get, we are very tactical at Ramsey Solutions here. We are helping people get out of debt. We're helping you save it for an emergency fund. We're helping you When it comes to grocery shopping or when you get a mortgage, what that looks like, insurance, right? All these things that you have to have. Um, But we know that a big part of money, though, is the behavior side. So we always say personal finance is 80% behavior, it's only 20% head knowledge. So actually, doing the things that we talk about is where you see progress. And so I thought, okay, if that behavior change is so big, I kind of want to dig into why is our behavior the way it is around money? And Uh, As I was kind of getting into this, I was like, this is just fascinating. You know, I love personality tests in general. I love the Enneagram. I love DISC. I love Myers-Briggs. I love all these ways that kind of just show you how you are nature versus nurture and all of it. And so as I started really peeling back the layers, I saw, wow, there's a lot that goes into why you handle money the way you do. And that one of those foundational points is how you grew up. And so you can point back to your childhood home that really is your classroom, right? You learn everything in your household growing up. And some things you you take with you into adulthood. There's some things you probably wish you could unlearn because you're like, nope, yeah. I want to do that differently. Uh, and so all of that is just a big classroom where you're learning all these lessons. And the same is true with money. And so I also found that in a household, you either are on the spectrum of Um, the emotional toll that money brings in a household so it's either kind of calm or it's anxious Uh, there's a scale there there's even a scale when it comes to when you talk about money verbally right was it closed was it a conversation that never happened around your household growing up or was it open and so as i was kind of figuring this out i was like oh this kind of creates like this quadrant i was like oh god you gave me a graph thank you so much this helps it and so these four money classrooms kind of came out of that quadrant of realizing okay how money was communicated verbally and emotionally was really important on really how you see money depending on which money classroom you grew up in.
0: Super cool. I also love, and the reason I say this book is like a personality test for money, just like the Enneagram and all of those, Myers-Briggs, all those other things, they kind of give us these aha moments for who we are, but they are not... um, giving us permission to stay stuck there. They're kind of saying like, hey, this is kind of why you might be the way you are, what your tendency is. So now you can actually have the tools to say, I can move forward. And so I think one of the biggest things for us with money is like, regardless of how we were brought up, right? Regardless of, we could all unpack. I have, um, you know, part of my money story is my parents' losing their house in a foreclosure mm. and having cars repossessed and other things. And, and a lot of it, it was unfortunate circumstances. Um, and so for me, I've just felt like there's no blame there. They were, as a parent myself, I'm like, just doing the best that they could, which is all that we're trying to do and not, you know, screw up our kids along the way and all of those things. Um, but being able to recognize, okay, this is some of this environment, the way that I grew up is shaping my avoidance of this conversation. Cause that feels safer. And I think for a lot of people, they are avoiding the conversation. So you're unpacking, um, how you grew up and then being able to help people step forward. Um, I'm curious to know, like you have shared a little bit with these personality tests, Enneagram and even like birth order and different stuff. Did you have, find it, have any interesting finds as to why people spend money even based on some of those things? Like, like I was thinking about my oldest sibling seems to be a little bit more like money tight. And I was like, I wonder if that's a birth order thing. Any, did you have any aha moments in your research?
1: Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that there were so many factors that played in to people's tendencies around money. And what's fascinating is if you talk to your siblings and you grew up in the same home, but the way they experienced even the same event is so different based on their natural personality and how God has wired them. And so that's what's fascinating as you start to kind of unpeel the layers. So I have, I did find um, a pretty significant correlation that it was kind of this black and white of depending on what household you grew up in. Um, We'll just say for an example, an anxious household, which would be in my quadrant, if you will, uh, one that money was stressful, but it was also a closed communication. And so there was kind of that, that anxiety, that low-level anxiety that you knew something was off. So I either found that people continued to stay in that or they would leap to the complete opposite quadrant, and they said, no, I'm going to have all communication open because I didn't like how I grew up in that way. Um, you know, So they almost did the exact opposite. So I thought that was really fascinating as I was talking to people. They either really just mirrored exactly what their parents did because it's all they really knew, or they flung to the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So I found that, um, you know, not necessarily birth order. I think Enneagram is fascinating. You could probably pinpoint naturally how certain Enneagram numbers tend to be with money on a stereotypical level. But all of it, you know, kind of plays this, it's a one piece of the puzzle, if you will. And so uh, the tendencies is one that I love too, because I I write down, you know, about um, eight different money tendencies. And like you said, it's not permission, to stay in an unhealthy part of your tendency, it really is to kind of move to this balance. So like one of the tendencies is spender versus saver. And again, it's okay if your natural bent is to be a spender, but you have to know, I have to kind of move to that that saver end of the spectrum because I wanna have money and retire one day, right? I have to save. And for a saver, it's the same thing. If you go on the extreme side of a saver, you end up being this hoarder and control freak and you actually end up not enjoying life and at times end up not being generous because you're holding your money so tightly. So, so again, it's kind of finding that balance of all of these spectrums to be healthy when you're viewing money, but your personality is gonna lean one way or the other. And that's okay, I wanna celebrate that because that's how God created you. But like you said, it's not, it's not permission to continue to make the same mistake over and over with money.
0: Well, I love Um, diving into kind of our money story. Because I think if you've never thought about it, you can immediately be like, I don't have any problems with money. Like this is, you know, again, the story we're telling ourselves. But even I would say within the church, depending on how you grew up, there was also a money story being preached from the front. And I think uh, because my husband's in full-time ministry and I started being a teacher, like we were both like, we don't care about money. Like that was our money story was, um, I mean, all of his um, salary is we, it's fundraise. And we went, also went for years without really getting paid. So again, all of these little, um, layers, but I think I really grew up as well, or in early adulthood having the idea of like, it's more, it's more humble to have no money. It's better to have. So that view actually kept us stuck for a long Mm, time because there was no reason to build wealth, to get on top of our money. So it was almost like, The best thing for us to do was just to get by. And as I started digging in, like we started with a budget, but wow, God began to reveal to us all of the other places that we were believing lies about money. And now I'm in this place where I'm like, okay, we are going after building wealth because, I mean, and for some personal reasons, we'd love to get into a different house and other things like that, but also ministries need money. There are like money does good in the world. And so really that's lit a fire to Mm. say, okay, I was over here, I think believing a lie. Um, and have you noticed that with people as they start to budget that they have different money
1: mindsets? Yes, absolutely. Okay. That's so fascinating. You even said that because I think even in the Christian space, it can be deemed as holy. If you don't have a lot, you don't need a lot. And you almost take on this, Passive pride of like wearing this badge of like no we don't need a lot you know what I mean and and there's part of that again that is good that it's like yeah my my money is not defining me my stuff doesn't have to define me I can find joy and other things and all of that is so true um, but also it, there can be a low not saying y'all had a low level pride in it but there can be that in a sense and just like on the other side where you can where you can fall into the other trap of the the other extreme of gosh, I just, I just need to accumulate. I need to upgrade the stuff. I I just need bigger, better. I want to build wealth only to consume and meet some need I have in my own life. And that's why I'm doing it. Right. And it's like both motivations don't necessarily bring out this winning spirit in you. And I think the way you guys are going about it is so beautiful where it's like, Hey, money is a tool. It's a tool to create a life that I love. And it's a tool to help people. If you have something you love, Young Life is one of those. I, I love that he was on staff. My husband and I met through Young Life. We were both leaders in Whoa. Knoxville through the University of Tennessee. And we were on Young Life uh, committee for years uh, here outside of Nashville. So we love it. And we, we give consistently to Young Life still to this day because it's such, I believe in that ministry so much. And it is a joy. So it's like the fact that you get to work, make money, even build wealth, to go and put it back into the kingdom of God what a beautiful thing. And that's what it is. Right. And so I love that mindset shift for you guys. That's just encouraging for me to hear that part of your story. Cause I'm like, that's amazing. So, so yeah, your money mindset is big of understanding your, why your motivation to why you want to win with money, or maybe why you don't want to win with money to ask your, ask that question. I mean, all of it. So that motivation underneath a lot of this is really, really important to tap into. That's why even in my book, that's why I'm like, I love to go under the surface of the tactical side of money. Like, What is under it? What is the thing under it? Whether it's the fear, uh, the anxiety, the motivation, uh, the good, the bad, all of it that's underneath all of it. So important to kind of dig that out. And if you are a believer, to know that you have a redeemer on the other side, that it's like, this stuff doesn't have to own me. My past mistakes don't have to own me. My childhood doesn't have to own me and all of it, that uh, it really can be used for good. And that's such a beautiful part of it too.
0: So good. Well, I love that you touched on one of my favorite things to talk about Um, period, but in the show is, is really getting to the root of what's going on. Because I think some of our money beliefs, some of our spending habits, when we can identify kind of what is at the root of that, it makes it much easier to, um, to begin to move forward. Like you said, 80% is emotional. And so if we don't actually kind of identify why am I spending, or saving? Why am I? Why am I hoarding? Why do I have this fear? Right? Like I think I also used to just buy so many groceries and store them because I was like, I'm. I think it was a fear of not having enough. And at one point, my husband said to me, like I was buying coffee from Costco, but I'd, it'd be on sale, and I would buy like six like giant bags. He's like, Here's what you need to think about, like that money. Really, we are—we're kind of—we're spending something, and it's—we're saving it there instead of using that money to pay off debt. And maybe that's fifty bucks. That doesn't mm-hmm. seem like a lot, but that was again another mindset shift where I had to go, "Okay, it actually isn't helping my family to be hoarding stuff." And what was the root of it? It was, it was a fear of not, right? Like I think we—it's yes. a very legitimate fear based on the what's going on in the world right now. Hundred percent what's been happening over the last few years. So, what would you say to people who are feeling like um they're just feeling afraid mm-hmm. when it comes to money? Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh,
1: yeah. Kind Fear of is it's a big um it's a big emotion around money and and it was big when I launched the book in the middle of a pandemic and now it's almost shifted to when we're recording this now, you know, things happening overseas with wars, to inflation, I mean all of it, right? It's just this it's a wild ride that we're in. And so What I have found is when you do take control of your money, when you do say, hey, the borrower is slave to the lender, when I can get out of debt and be free from owing anyone anything, when I can store up some cash in the house of the wise, there are stores of choice, food and oil, a foolish man devours all he has, wise people save. And you do this biblical way, common sense way of living with money, what ends up happening is that fear does subside because you have a level of control with your money. So so there still can be fear. And I even I even found this for me in the pandemic. You know, my husband and I, we've been doing this for 12 years. So we're on baby step seven. You know, we're fine. When you look at our numbers on paper, you would say, yes, you guys are good. You're solid. You're fine. But I still, I had about three or four days in the pandemic where I just had fear. Overri- I went to bed scared. I woke up scared. I was like, what? what if? what is happening in our world it was like may of 2020 nothing had changed you know it had gone worse the stock market was all over the place i mean and i thought what and it was a check for me honestly to say wow i didn't realize probably how much value i did put in my money and i didn't realize it i've been teaching this stuff for it not to own you and it kind of did on this emotional level for me so there was a convicting moment i even had in all of it so all that to say the fear can be very real from the number standpoint that if you're living paycheck to paycheck Yeah, gas doubling fifty, doubling fifty percent. Groceries going up up to twenty percent. Like that is real, and that is real fear because you're thinking, "Am I able to pay my bills?" But there's also a fear that can happen just emotionally of, "Am I going to be okay?" Like you said, having all these like just bags of coffee, right? It's you're living in that. So what I what I found is number one, fear cannot be your financial driver. You make terrible, terrible decisions financially. I Always laugh and say it. Warren Buffett said it. But when you're broke. Or I'm sorry, when you're fearful or when you're drunk, you make really bad money decisions. So so the fear cannot be the place of motivation. But what it can do is kind of springboard you into realizing, wow, I may not be as good off financially as I thought I was. Or wow, I really we are really out of control that if one thing happens, our house of cards is going to go tumbling down. And so give that letting that be maybe the starting point, not the driver, because I don't want it to be a motivator. But at least the starting point for a little bit of a wake-up call to say, okay, I've got to get my stuff together. I have to. And so, um, but man, the fear thing, it's real, whether it's tangibly and very tactically when you're looking at hard numbers or the emotional side, that maybe your numbers are okay, but you still have this level of fear. And so um, it's just important not to make decisions out of it.
0: And I, I also think there's a fear that grows when we avoid facing the numbers um, and I know like leading up to us starting our budget, we had been doing a, I would say, kind of like this juggling act for a long time because for 10 years I had had like been pregnant, had a maternity leave, gone back part time. Like my, I was looking at my salary recently and I I really had no idea what my salary was over the years. And it wildly swung based on how much I was working, mm-hmm. but our lifestyle didn't change. Um, and so... Also with my husband and his budget every year, there'd be a fundraising banquet where there'd be, oh, here's an influx of money. And so it was like, I had actually given him full reign of the finances because I was too stressed about it because of all these yo-yos. And I was like, okay, here, like, we're going to, we'll be okay. But I I had this growing sense inside of me that if something happens, like we're just, we're living too close to Mm -hmm. the edge. And so it really was that point where it was like, we have to do something different. We have to pay attention to our finances. And we were very, very strict in that for those first few months, we did not eat out a single time. I remember going to a friend's house for dinner. We were hanging out and she's like, "Ah." I forgot to plan something. I'm just going to order pizza. And she ordered pizza and I drove home that night crying because I was like, she gets to order pizza and I can't even, like, because I was like, her life is so much easier. Yeah. yeah. And so I also want to say to people, like, it's hard mm-hmm. when you are, you're making that swing. First of all, it's hard to look at the numbers.
1: Yes. And yes. really
0: say, okay, this is where we're at. It's hard to say, we're like we canceled Netflix. We were like we are just doing everything we, can. we kept Disney Plus, but we're like we're you know we're doing what we can, and then starting to see that snowball and starting to have that happen. And you know even in the last few months, our budget was a little bit looser because we were no longer in kind of that absolutely gazelle intense focus. But that's where we had to start to kind of gain some momentum and gain some speed. So I, I just want to say to people if they're listening and they're feeling like like inflation is going up. That's the reality. Like reality right now, things are bananas. Um, but your job, your steady job may may not have gone up. So you might be feeling that crunch, uh, even more. And so I wanted to say to people, um, if you have not turned to face your numbers, if you have not started budgeting, um, now is a great time to kind of dive in and, um, I would also love for you to chat about um, one of the things people can feel so often about money is shame. And that can be a place that keeps us stuck as well. So what would you say to like the person who's listening, who's like, I feel all those things and I feel, I feel bad. I feel responsible. I've made some bad decisions or something. Yeah. What would you say um, just about shame and money?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's very real. Cause out of all the roles that we have in life, there's not a number, right? So I can say, Man, Winston and I's marriage, we're, we're like killing it these days. Like we are so connected, all of this. But there's not a number to that. Or I could say parenting, it's so hard right now. We're in a hard season. There's not a number for that. But your money, there's a number. And what happens is that our net worth has become our self-worth. And you look at this number and you think that is, that is who I am. All the mistakes I've made, all the accomplishments I made, whatever it is, that, there is a literal number to our money. And it haunts us. It really does. And so you have to remove yourself from that and to be able to say, you know what? Yes, I've made mistakes. And yes, this credit card bill that I've avoided, like you said, I'm actually going to stare it in the face. The student loan that I haven't been paying on because the CARES Act and now possibly I'm going to have to start. I haven't looked at it. I haven't haven't wanted to think about it, but I am going to choose to face it. All of these things right? you're going to be pulling all of this out and bring it into the light. But you have to remember that those past mistakes are not your identity. They're not who you are. Yes, you will have to face them. Absolutely, you will have to. But guess what? That's okay because it's not who you are. You are not the mistake, even though you've made mistakes. And listen, we've all made mistakes. You could, I mean, I could tell you today how many things I've done and that are terrible, right? I'm like, this is our world. This is where we live. But when, if you are a believer and to say, you know what? That is, That's all been redeemed. It's okay. It's not who you are. But again, the, the tough thing with money though is you're having to face those numbers. So remind yourself day in and day out. I don't have to continue down this road and continue to make mistakes. I get to change and wake up every day and make a different decision. You have the power to do that, which is a beautiful thing. But also to know again that your mistakes are not you. It's not you are not the mistake. And and removing that is huge. And that's not that's true not just with money, like that's true as a mom that when I screw up and I yell at my kid or I do something and I'm like, I have to go back and apologize. Like that is not who I am. Like I know who Rachel Cruz is and that that's not me, that mistake. And so you could do that with every area of life. And, but again, money's a tough one because there's a number that is staring at you in the face. But, but facing it again is that first big step. So I love that you touched on that, but bringing things into the light is huge. And I do find that usually we've built something up in our head. It's magnified in our head. And when you actually look at the numbers, it's less scary because you actually are able to say, okay, now I actually have control. Actually, I know the reality. The fog of not knowing makes it scarier than the actual reality.
0: Totally. You can now make a plan. Um, And I love that you kept using the term, bring it out into the light, because I think you're right. It is every single part of our lives um, that so much of my own personal story is just the like things that I was burying deep down inside that I thought I was keeping myself safe and protecting me, um, was destroying mm-hmm. me from the inside out. And so the brave place to like, ah, I'm gonna turn and face this and bring it to the light. That is where there is freedom. That is where there is healing in all yes. of these places. And bringing and so-
1: other people in, right? So if you are married, you and your spouse doing it together. If you're not, have a friend. And the, the word accountability partner, I kind of cringe at sometimes. because I'm like, I feel like it's just thrown around so much. But just the idea of having someone to walk with you, not to shame you or anything, but to and not to put more on you, but to call out who you are, you know, like to encourage you in it. And when you have someone else that knows you on that level, again, this is any area of life, but even with your money that knows you, there's something about that. Like you're saying, it's it, to, to in order to heal and to be in the process, have people around you who can support you and love you in it. Because that's a huge part of the process as well.
0: Well, I love that you're talking about this, even this idea of accountability and the process. And I would say the number one thing, so my husband's Enneagram one, so that is helpful because <laughs> he's like, we're we're sticking to this, we're doing it. Um, the number one thing I would say that has been pivotal to our process has been meeting once a week to stare at those numbers. Um, and so I think, you know, this, this is transformative for our marriage because going from, We're never going to talk about money until we're meeting once a week. And one of the things that can happen, I think money is such a divider in marriage. And even like any woman listening, I'm just going to go out and like come up with my own stat. I'm going to say 90% of the women listening have bought something and they've hidden it from their husband, right? Like they've just been like, I'm going to shove this in here and I'm going to, right? Like there's a store, down the street. It is, it's called like Art Nap Plant World or something. Like it's a, it's a gardening store, but they sell the most amazing clothing. I don't know why <laughs> there's clothing in this, but it it's like a great combination. I love it. <laughs> so if my husband looks at the credit card bill, he's like, wow, well, you spent $200 on plants. It's like, it's for the family. It's for our home, right? Like, so we've all done those weird money things. And so actually I think your book would be so great to read with your spouse, and ask, like, dive into those tendencies, like, oh, this is who you are, not wrong, just different, right? We're approaching things differently, and kind of unpack that, but the number one thing for us was sitting down once a week, um, and having a, like, looking at our numbers, having a money conversation, sometimes fighting, sometimes crying, but always, like, ending on a high note, and just getting on the same page. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any other tips for people who are married in terms of getting on the same page money-wise? Oh,
1: it is so, like you said, it is, it's huge. Because what ends up happening is, you know, people think that it's just, you know, money issues that we're having. But like we've been talking about getting to the root, it's usually not money issues. Usually there's other stuff happening underneath. And so getting to that root of it, is what changes your marriage and what unifies you guys. And so, you know, even the the hidden purchases, like I, I'll see Instagram reels, like we talked about, you know, and they're kind of joking and playful with like the Target bags. And I got to run this in before my husband sees it. And I get that it's funny and it's cute. But the reality is, I'm like, if that's your reality though, and you're feeling that, why? Ask why. Is it because you don't feel safe necessarily to tell him because he's a control freak maybe and he's going to flip out? I don't know. Is it because... Man, you bought something and you're actually kind of a little bit ashamed that you did it because you know you probably shouldn't have, but it just felt good in the moment because you were lonely because whatever, whatever the motivation of you to do that. Is it because you agreed on a budget with your spouse and you broke it because you want to do that? You know, like, I don't know what it is, but figure out the why, why, why is that? Because when you can be able to face that why and come to your spouse with that and you guys see that together, talk about it, heal from it and connect on it. That changes the course of your money life. I mean, it really does. And so what ends up happening is you don't just talk about money. You're talking about life. And you end up on the same page on everything because it's very vulnerable, very vulnerable to do what you guys did every week to show the numbers and say, here's where we're at. It's scary. You feel like you're just like laying everything out there because we live in a world, too, that celebrates this independence. And so there's this wedge within Couples that they it's these two different lanes and people celebrate it They're like oh I don't need to depend on a man I can do it on myself or or no I've worked too hard or I was burned you know in my last marriage and so I don't want to share with money you know which all may be true right there could be reasons for all these things but what ends up happening is you end up dividing rather than unifying and you be, end up being roommates and you end up living your life separate and and again I hear some people say well we fight too much so if we talk about money we just end up fighting and I'm like. That's the exact fight you need to have, because by avoiding that, you know, you get in the habit of avoiding other things. And you look up in your marriage five years later, and you're in two different, you're in two different worlds. And so I'm telling you, there is something about unifying with money that ends up unifying you more than just money. And so I do, I, yeah, I, we have a, we have a whole event called money and marriage because of this exact topic. So I'm like, it is so important for your marriage. And, and then the side benefit is that you get out of debt faster. You work together as a team, you know, the side benefit is the actual money progress that you make, but the, 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 the intimacy that's created in a couple when they work together, um, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. And it's amazing when we get debt-free screams on the radio show, people say, oh, our marriage is totally different than when we started. And it's like, you didn't do a marriage course, you know, <laughs> when you were going through this process, but there's something about it. It is, you know, your treasure is where your heart is. Like it, there is something so real about it. And I love, I love that you are talking about this and that you're leading the way, you and your husband of, of saying, yeah, this is what we did every week. And man, I'm, I just can't echo it enough how important it is.
0: So good. Well, I want to um, just tell everybody as well, if you go to episode 82, where we talked about our the beginning of our budget, we actually started a series a few episodes before that just called Having Hard Conversations. And what it looks like, that might be a great one to start with if you feel like this particular topic is hard because um, just because we're married, just because we've been married for 10, 15, 20 years doesn't mean we always know how to approach those hard conversations. Again, because we have fear of how they're going to respond. They haven't gone well in the past. All these different things. We will give you some tools in that Episode about how to really see a conversation through to the end because there will be bumps along the way and there's actually certain ways to approach the conversation um, that you have a greater chance of actually having a successful conversation um, because some people are listening right now and they're thinking this is awesome. I'm actually I'm a, I'm alone in wanting to change this and so um, I just feel for you mm-hmm. and appreciate it and and even saying to your spouse. This is like, we've got to change this. You need to change this. That's not always going to work. And so you may need a few more tools to kind of come at it, you know, around the bend. Um, there are some things, my husband, the that episode that just dropped this past week was on habits. And my husband has some of the best habits, maybe because he's an Enneagram one. Um, but the way he's figured out his particular like health exercise, Bible reading, all of those things are in that episode. Um, but one of the things I shared is that he's never once said to me you should you should do this you should probably like be reading your bible every day you should be going to the gym like he's never t- said that to me once but seeing him change in all of those things is so attractive to me personally and that can be the case with money as well when you begin to change these habits and certain things when you're um, I am in Canada and the border has been closed for two years and it's just kind of popped open a bit here and there. And I went down to Target last December and this was like, I haven't been to Target a year and a half. Like I am salivating. And I got there and I realized how much I had changed mm. mentally, wow. money wise, because I was like, oh, I don't, I don't need this. I'm not buying this just because it's five bucks. I'm not buying this because it's I'm at Target this could be cool and I I left and I was like huh okay that was different like I but I noticed I was like oh I've things have changed and that then has a ripple effect right as people see okay I'm now seeing some of that change and so I just want to encourage somebody if they're feeling so discouraged that they're not on the same page with their spouse um, you can also begin to start making those changes and they will I believe they will follow
1: That's so good. Yes, and you know, yeah, like you said, just sitting there and being like a barking Chihuahua, like you got to change, you got to change, you know, that's not gonna, it's not gonna be effective, right? Um, but also talking about your why, and 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 saying, man, this is this is why I'm doing it. Whether it is because I'm fearful, maybe that's your why at first, right? I'm scared that that we're not gonna be okay if something happens, and that's really that's kind of scary for me. Or I want to see my kids not live in the tension that I'm feeling right now. You know what I mean? And, and sharing your heart behind it as well can be really helpful. And then I have found it's kind of, it's, it's a little bit more on the tactical side, but I have found specifically with husbands that are not on board when the wife just shows the numbers and actually does kind of the hard, scary work of, of looking at everything and listing it out and saying, man, you know, in 13 months, we could be completely debt-free if we did this, this, and this. And they actually see a plan and a reality. I've seen that help too. Some husbands, it just kind of is the green light to say, oh, okay. It's not as big or frightening or crazy as I thought. And there it is. So however it is, whether it's you changing, like you said, or you just communicating, even just your why, your heart, your root behind your change and why, or on a very tactical level, just showing a plan and numbers that may help sway a little bit, whatever it is. Yes. um, I agree though. It can be one of the hardest parts when you have something that you want to change in your spouse's on board. So I, I echo that for sure.
0: Well, I want to, um, I want to end off giving people some really practical tips for things they can do really quickly, things they can do right now. Um, can you give me some of your money-saving tips, things that people can start with aside from, yes, of course, doing the budget?
1: Yes. So, when you're looking at saving money there's really two ends of the formula you have to look at right it's your income and your expenses where you're at and so you can control your income obviously you can add in an extra job you can ask for a raise you can do that but the expenses side is really the place the first place i always look to cut and see okay what is going on and after you do the budget you're able to see okay what is it so i mean it's everything like you guys did subscriptions it's amazing when you can actually there's an app called true bill and you can even go and they will monitor your automatic um depo- or I'm sorry automatic withdrawals to subscriptions and when you haven't used one and you can set up a time it'll ding you and it's amazing how many apps you signed up for or you know streaming services that you may not even be aware of what's going on and where you can say okay where you know let that ding you to say okay we can cut that your grocery shopping. Grocery, obviously, inflation's been a big thing, but man, depending on where you shop is big, your location of your grocery store and what type of grocery store is massive. Buying, um, you know, not the brand name, but the store brands. I mean, little decisions like that, it's amazing how quickly those things add up. Some big things you could do to save money. If you are in debt and you don't have an emergency fund, pause your retirement. If you have a retirement plan going on, deposit until you're out of debt. That's going to give you some income back into your paycheck to help you pay off debt. Re-look at all of your insurance. Again, this is one of the things we kind of just keep on auto draft, and you, it can, you could go years not re-looking at insurance. So it's amazing to look at your auto, your home, your life insurance, and see if there's any money that can save there. So those are two big things. Even your taxes, looking to see, okay, am I getting a huge refund every year? And if you are, look look at, uh, you know, talk to your HR department and look to see okay, where can I shift my withholdings in my taxes and actually get more money in my paycheck? So, so there's big things you can do again that kind of seem overwhelming, but you're gonna see a big swing, uh, possibly cash-wise with that. But then those everyday expenses, just look at where you're shopping. I even unsubscribe to all my emails because I will, if I get in a habit on buying and stuff, you know, I'll refresh my Gmail account and it's like J. Crew and Taylor Loft. You know, I get all these sales. And then you're more enticed to be like, okay, I'm going to click to see what's on sale. I'm like, get rid of all of it. Get rid of all of it. So anything you can do to remove any type of friction to spending money you don't have to um, really does help.
0: Well, that's so good. I um, I spent Black Friday this year um, returning items <gasps> that I had bought the week and a half before. I returned almost $400 worth of Christmas presents That I had bought, to be honest, out of fear. Mm. Like I said to my husband, "There's these like shortages. We need to have something." And so I was just buying stuff, and then I went through and I was like, "This is what we have and what we need." And I just had all the receipts, and I went and I did returns. And I was like, "This is the most bizarre reverse Black Friday." Um, But sometimes, you know, you were talking about grocery stores, and as a busy mom, it is hard to always hit up like, "This is cheapest here. This is cheapest here." And so. I was getting into the habit of going to this one store because it was close and convenient, and and I was shopping the store recently, and I'd I'd put a few different things in my cart every time I grabbed something. I was like, "Okay, that's a little, that's a few dollars more," and then at some point I thought, "I can't do this," and mm. I went through the store and I was like putting wow. everything back. Wow! Got in my car. I drove twenty minutes to the other store, and I wouldn't recommend this as like a normal <laughs> practice, but it was very humbling to say like I I can't do this like this this was more convenient and sometimes the fact is we have to make the sure sure right Absolutely, we're not going to be maniacs but but there I just realized I was like I can't actually be going to that store anymore I need to plan a little bit better Mm. um one of the other things you I heard you say and again this is just a quick like mindset shift and then we're going to kind of wrap it up um you said that in something called comparison spending, you said, if no one sees this purchase, do I still want it? And I was like, that is an awesome filter. If we're gonna have certain filters when it comes to our spending, um, that was a great one. Do you have, can you unpack that? Or do you have any other filters when it comes to spending, what you would kind of give people? Oh, I'm an
1: Enneagram three, so that's my filter. <laughs> it's, it's for the other people, because I did realize, I mean, I, I, I caught myself, and it was actually during the pandemic, when that hit me, I was rewriting some of the book and I added that uh, toward the end because it hit me. where I realized, gosh, Rachel, a lot because I was diving into why do I spend the way I spend. And for me, I love spending. I'm more of a spender than a saver, so it's bo- I'm bored or I just kind of need a little bit of an excitement, something new, even if it's a fifteen dollar pair of earrings off Amazon. I'm gonna just do, you know, I can get into that habit. And I had to check myself and be like, okay, why? And then I realized, Rachel, how what amount of purchases would you not buy if nobody could see it or you couldn't post it on social media. No one knew that vacation existed, all of that. And it was an interesting filter because my husband, he loathes social media. He is like anti-social media. He's off of it, all of it. So we've made a deal early in marriage that I would not post him or even the kids, the kids rarely I will, but I, it will, it will not, my accounts will not be our family a hundred percent. Cause he just wasn't comfortable with it. And I agreed. I was like, I, that's fine. Um, and because of that, even the pictures I take of my kids now, I know are not for other people because I'm not going to be posting them. They really are for me. And it just changes your mindset. So I took almost that approach to my spending where I was like, okay, what if nobody could see this in person, on social media? Do, do I still want it? And sometimes the question is, yes, maybe I'm like, no, it really is a cute pair of shoes and I think they're fun and I'm going to wear them to work and I like them and I'm going to just buy them. But there's probably a good fifty percent of the purchases I've made in my life that I'm like, oh no, I wanted the compliment, or I was looking for something, right? Which again, we could have a whole psychology of Rachel Cruz in this podcast, but the deeper meaning of why. And I think the healthier I've become as a person, my spending has changed, Uh, and so it's it's fascinating to look. But yeah, that's a great filter for some people is to ask yourself if nobody sees this purchase, do I still want it?
0: Oh, that's so good. I even just love thinking about what you just shared about social media and um, the pressure and everything that moms have. Oh, that's a whole other conversation about, I'm like half the time. I'm like, my kids dress themselves and they're homeless. So just, Oh, my kids look homeless,
1: like all the time.
0: (laughs) Totally. Oh, I could go into it. Anyways. Okay. Well, this has been so fun and, um, I hope people grab your book and I just closed my tab that had the title. Um, know yourself. yourself. You're good. Yeah know yourself, know your money, discover why you handle money the way you do and what to do about it. I think that's just honestly such a needed book. And right now, um, we need to be wise with our money and what you said at the very end, I just want to touch on as you have grown more, um, emotionally, spiritually healthy, all of the things as we become really, um, healed and whole people it affects every aspect of our lives and so sometimes we need to focus on one place and you can focus on money that actually is going to highlight other things to you as well and so my hope for everybody really is just freedom Christ has given us freedom and there are places where we are stuck and um, as Rachel was saying before like we don't need to stay stuck in those places but if God is nudging your heart right now towards finances um, there is hope for you I love our personal testimony and other people's personal testimonies. So, uh, Rachel, thank you for being on Ready to Thrive. Oh,
1: absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure.
0: Can I just say thank you for listening? This space has been incredibly encouraging for me this past year. And as I am being deeply encouraged by these conversations, I trust you are as well. And I'm not going to ask you to rate the show or subscribe, but I am going to ask if while you were listening today, a friend popped into your mind and you thought, hmm, think they could use this encouragement. Can I ask you to share this episode with them, with one person? When I listen to podcasts on my phone, there are three little dots at the bottom right, and I click there to share. Also, can I say sometimes I don't share with others as I'm worried about what they'll think of me if they think I'm bugging them by sharing something. But when someone shares something with me, I am never bothered. Often it is the exact thing I needed to hear. So if someone popped into your mind, click those three little dots and share this
1: encouraging conversation with them. And thank you for listening to Ready to Thrive.